Four weeks ago, we started this series, The Big Assignment, and we discovered that when Jesus invited the first four individuals to follow him, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you something that you're not, because I have a big opportunity, I have a big assignment for you. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And these four men decided to follow Jesus, but like most of us, they initially followed for completely selfish reasons. But as time went by, just as Jesus predicted, they became exactly what he said. They became fishers of men, which means they began taking the message of Jesus and sharing it with other men and women who shared it with other men and women. And eventually, here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, seeking, celebrating, and for most of us, worshiping Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that's incredible because for many of us, the idea of talking about our faith in Jesus and trying to compel other people to believe what we believe or to convince them that they ought to change what they believe in to what we believe in, I mean, that whole idea just strikes fear in most of us. And which is a little strange because we're glad somebody told us, right? Like, we're glad somebody told us. I'm so glad that someone shared with me, shared with me maybe that message, or they invited me to church, or they gave me that book, or they shared that faith-based podcast. Uh, They sat me down. Maybe they were even a little confrontational. Maybe it was my grandparents. Maybe it was my parents. I'm so grateful that someone told them and that they told me as they raised me. But the idea of me talking to other people who don't believe it is terrifying. Or, or for some, so the idea of trying to get other people to leave what they believe, to believe what you believe, it, it doesn't even seem right. So, so we actually asked the question two weeks ago, why? Why do we need to talk about it? And the reason is because the message of Christianity, as we said, is not intuitive. It means you can't just go out and sit under a tree and come up with the answers all on your own. Because... Christianity is not just simply a theology or a philosophy or a religion or a morality or a set of ethics or values. Christianity is something that is grounded and founded in history, an event that happened in history. And the only way for you and I to know something that has happened in history is for someone to tell us. So the New Testament believers said the reason that we have to talk about it, even though you don't want to talk, you would prefer us to not talk about it, is because there has been an event that we have seen and heard. So how else, how else are people going to know if we don't talk about it? And if you've been here the last few weeks, odds are you're on board with this thought. I mean, I mean if you're a Christian, if you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, this is not new information. And, and yet, though, we're very grateful to, that someone took the assignment seriously, that somebody fished for us, they caught us, and that we know that no one's going to know If we don't tell them, we still shrink back from our assignment and our responsibility to be fishers of men. And if we all shared, just took a moment and shared with one another the reason that we don't fish more intentionally or even more aggressively, it would all boil down for most of us to one word, that we're just simply afraid. We're afraid. And you may express it in different ways. Uh, What if... What if they ask a hard question that I don't have an answer for? What if I sound stupid? What if they fire me? What if they walk away? What if it ends up ending the relationship? What if I say it wrong? What if they think I'm a religious freak? What if they think that I'm just naive and simple-minded, right? And, and because of fear, 
we shrink back. And then, to make it even better, comes the guilt. Because then we feel guilt. Like, I know I ought to, and I know I should, and I'm so glad that someone shared it with me and fished for me. But suddenly, our fear just plants us on the sidelines. And then you hear a message like this, and you go like, okay, Chad, I know I get it. I know I ought to. But then the fear just swells up in you. But you know what? You're not alone. All the primary players in the New Testament who followed Jesus were all a bunch of cowards themselves at one time. I mean, in fact, I've had lots of conversations with people wrestling with Christianity, and I point out often that if you were trying to make up a religion or trying to manipulate or control people, you would never write yourself into the story like these guys wrote themselves into the story. Most of you know this. Most of you know this. At one time, a middle school age girl came up to Peter, the rock that we talked about, one who said, even if I have to die, I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. And this middle school age girl comes up to Peter and is like, hey, you're, you're with him, right? And he like curses at her, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard of him. He was a coward. And then when Jesus was arrested, his best friends, what did they do? Stand by his side? No, they ran off, they ran and hid into the darkness, scared to death, afraid to even be associated with him. And resurrection morning, were they standing outside the tomb with the countdown clock? No, they were all in hiding because they were terrified. They were scared to death. And these had been his closest followers, his closest friends who had seen and heard everything that he did. And everything, and all the things that we read about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they write about themselves and about the, the, his closest friends, they make it all clear they were all cowards. But then, seemingly overnight, these cowards became bold and courageous. And in the book of Acts, which tells us about everything that happens after the resurrection, they become witnesses to what they had seen and what they heard. And today, I want to talk about that because today's story we learn something important that can help us right now, after we leave here today. We, we gain an important insight about how the first century Christians taught about Jesus and Christianity and why they were so willing to be bold and courageous and embrace the big Jesus assignment, even though, in spite of the fact that they had far more to lose than any of us will ever have to risk or lose when it comes to what we believe. So, if you have your Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 23. This is the continuation of a story that we actually began two weeks ago. And I'm, to catch you up, if you weren't here, it's, just, it's a very exciting story. Because Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried. He rose from the dead. He went to be with the Father. A few weeks later, men who had hung out with Jesus, Peter and John, go to the temple to pray. On their way to the temple, they see a man who has never walked before in his life. He's a lame man. Peter says, rise and walk. And for the first time in his life, he rises and then he walks and then he leaps and then he jumps and he's so excited. He rushes into the temple and he's declaring, I'm healed and I'm, I'm healed. A crowd begins to gather. Here's the guy who did it. He's clinging on to Peter. Peter sees this as an opportunity. So he preaches this little mini sermon and he, and he does it right in the temple. And he preaches this sermon about Jesus. And then the people in charge of the temple, they were not happy about this because much like people in our, our culture, it was, hey, if you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. Just don't talk about him. If you have to talk about it, do it amongst friends. 
and people who already believe in Jesus, but don't, don't talk about it in public, and for sure don't talk about it in the temple. I mean, it's just very much like our culture. It's like you can talk about God, God's safe. You can talk about religion, religion's safe. You can talk about church. Uh, you can even talk about Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but don't talk about Jesus because it's offensive. And Peter and John, they're arrested by the temple guards. They're thrown into jail. The next day, he, they bring them before the very same leaders who had Jesus executed, who say, listen, quit talking about Jesus. And that's when Peter preaches another sermon. He says, we can't help it. We've got to. Not about what we believe, but what we have seen and what we have heard. And then he makes this great claim, because salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man and womankind by which we must be and can be saved. In other words, God has done something unique in history, and if we don't talk about it, nobody's going to know. So the leaders put them back in jail. They have this little meeting. They bring them back out and go, look, this is your last warning. Don't talk about it anymore. And then they send them home. And, and that's where the story picks up this morning because on the way home, Peter and John have a conversation. Now, we don't know what they actually talked about, but I can imagine what some of us would have talked about. If, if I were with you on our way home after spending in the night spending a night in jail, not like 21st century American jail, like first century sweaty, death, blood, stink jail, because I talked about Jesus and then threatened by the very same men who had Jesus, who had Jesus tortured and executed, my conversation probably with you would have gone something like this, like, okay, that was close. All right, that, we need to be more careful. I, in fact, I think we need to move this operation out of Jerusalem. This is not fertile territory. Uh, this is, you know, it's probably God's will that we go somewhere else where people are more receptive. I mean, God, thank you for answering our prayers that I'm here, that I'm alive. You know, thanking, thank you for blessing and protecting. I mean, this group of religious men who took us in and imprisoned us and captured us and, and questioned us and threatened us were the same people behind our Jesus' crucifixion. And if you've got enough leverage with the Roman government to take out the lead guy, it's not going to be that difficult to take out their followers. The leader Jesus had been put to death. And, and the people back home that were praying for Peter and John, I mean, they were praying for them to be released, but they were assuming the worst because of what they had already seen with Jesus. But they arrive back at headquarters. All these people are like, oh my gosh, they gather around them. What has happened? And they begin to tell their story. And that's where our story picks up today. This is verse 23 in chapter 4 of Acts. And Luke tells us that on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And look how they respond. When they, the people, the followers of Jesus, these new converts, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now again, you've got to put yourself in the moment. These earlier followers of Jesus, for them, Peter and John are important. Okay, we can't lose Peter and John. We have to protect these guys. These guys were so close to and spent three years with Jesus. We haven't heard all their teaching yet. We almost lost them. And if they're going to persecute these guys, odds are they're going to persecute us, all the followers of Jesus. So the question is, what would you pray in that situation? 
I think my prayer would have been something like, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, because that's how we all start our prayers, right? So thank you for this day. Uh, Now down to the serious stuff. Help me. Help me, help me, protect me, protect me, help protect my family. In other words, sort of like the prayers we pray already. You know, bless and protect, bless and protect. In Jesus' name, amen. Because this was a close call. It's like, okay, we'll talk about Jesus, but we're going to be more careful. But instead, instead, this group of people have an aha moment. And oh my God, if this would truly happen in my heart, in your heart, and in our church, they suddenly connect some dots. And it dawns on them that they are in the middle of something extraordinarily significant. And not only that, they are players that God has seen fit to involve them in something that He's been up to for generations. And when they pray, they don't pray like we normally pray. Instead, they suddenly see the big picture and they pray an incredible prayer. A prayer that it, give, it just reflects a perspective that I wish that you and I could truly embrace every single day and hold on to it. And, you know, and they don't start with, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. They start with Sovereign Lord. God who is large and in charge. God, it looked like you had lost control. I mean, Peter and John were arrested. It looked like you had lost control, but now we realize you've never lost control. You have been in control from day one. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I mean, Maybe we should begin some of our prayers like that because, man, does that give a clarifying context for everything else we might talk to God about. And here's where they begin to connect some of the dots. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, King David. It's God, we remember something that we were taught as children, a psalm that talks about the coming Messiah and that when he finally came, that when he shows up, he's going to be persecuted and things are not going to go well. And here's, here's what you spoke through our father David. Why? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain and the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one? Written nearly a thousand years earlier, this psalm that we learned as children predicted that when the Messiah comes, the rulers of the Gentiles and the kings, they're going, to, they're going to try and take a stand against him, but it won't work. They will plot in vain. And then it dawns on them, this has been fulfilled right in front of us, right before our eyes. This has happened. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles, the Romans, and the people of Israel in this city, they came to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They're like, oh my gosh, it happened right in front of us. Pilate, Herod, kings conspired together in vain to thwart what you, oh God, would do in history through your anointed one, Jesus. And we're in the middle of the fulfillment of a major league prophecy. And we almost missed it. Because when he was arrested, we were praying that he would be released. When they were going to crucify him, We prayed for a miracle that he wouldn't die, but it didn't change anything. He was crucified, and then he died. And we thought, oh no, God has lost control. But then God raised him from the dead, and we were just dumbfounded and so confused. But now, now we get it. This was your plan all along. And you look at this next part. 
they did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. And I think Peter and John and the rest of the disciples who were there, they just must have thought to themselves, how embarrassing. How embarrassing. We, we were standing with the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane when the temple guards came to arrest Him. And instead of thinking to ourselves, this is all part of God's plan. Exactly what Jesus tried to tell us was going to happen. And instead of thinking, well, this is what sovereign God wants to do, we thought God had left us. We thought God had abandoned us. We thought we ran for cover. And we were right there in the midst, in the middle of the activity of God. Oh, to go back and be able to do it over again. And we let fear overcome us. What cowards we were. What an opportunity we missed. And I I just have to say that This is one of my biggest concerns as a man, as a leader, as a leader of this young community that we call New Life. One of my biggest concerns is, will you and I have the same experience someday? Will you and I someday look back at the opportunities that we had with coworkers and friends and neighbors and family people that we work out next to at the Y or the fitness club, the, the, the people that are just around us in our life, and think what cowards we were. What were we so afraid of? Look at the opportunities I missed. What was I so afraid of? I mean, that's why well, I've got tattooed on my left arm and just as a reminder, why are you afraid? In this moment, suddenly this group of people, they get it. And now they don't know what to ask. Now they don't know what to pray for because, like, what do you do when you realize suddenly that everything that you've been asking for, everything you've been praying has been the wrong stuff because you didn't know what God was up to? It's like, now I don't know what to pray. Here's what they say. Now, now Lord, and I love this, consider their threats. <laughs> In other words, they don't pray, do away with our enemies because they realize, well, that may, you may want to use our enemies. And they don't ask, don't let us be arrested or persecuted because that may be what God wants is for us to be arrested and persecuted. So they choose this neutral word like, Lord, okay, the people who are persecuting and threatening us, who could arrest us, who could take our lives at any moment, at least consider their threats. Like, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to ask for, but we want, to, we want you to know we're aware of the danger and we just want to make sure you're aware of it as well. We're not smart enough to know how you want to use them, but would you at least consider their threats? And then they ask for something that so very few of us ask. So very few of us in this room or online that have ever asked for, they ask for something that's so contrary to what we normally ask for. But here's a group of people who suddenly have a proper perspective of what God is up to. So they pray, sovereign God, who is active and has been willing to use us in this grand narrative. If you don't do anything else, do this one thing. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Have you ever prayed for that? At the end of your prayers... Lord, even if you don't bless me the way I want you to bless me and you don't protect me and the people that I love the way I want you to protect me and the people that I love, enable me to speak your word, to share my faith, to share the good news with great boldness. Have you ever prayed that?
for most of us, the answer is no. We, we don't pray that. Why? Well, because for most of us, we're Americans, and it's all about me. And I think, though I'd never admit it out loud, I'm sovereign. And if I'm honest, I am primarily and sometimes exclusively concerned about my activity and my life and my hopes and my dreams and my future and my hopes and desires and my comfort level and the things and the people that affect my life. And, and this happens to most of us because we're just by nature, especially as Americans, so self-consumed and so averse to discomfort. And we forget that just like them, our first century spiritual ancestors, God has invited me and invited you into something so much larger than myself. God has invited you into something so much larger than you to be a player in what he's still up to in this world for the sake of the next generation. Do you know why they could pray for boldness in a scenario where that few, if any of us, will ever face? I mean, let's just be real. Okay, we, we live in a context in which the worst thing that might happen is someone unfriends or unfollows us on social media. Oh, no. Or possibly that we don't get invited to as many lunch meetings. Worst case scenario, somebody decides they actually begin to avoid us. Do you know why they could pray for boldness and a scenario in which they could be imprisoned or lose their lives? Because they understood. Big, sovereign, creator of all things, God is doing something in our midst and it cannot be stopped. And not only that, but He has invited us and is allowing us to be a player and a part. And this did not motivate them to just sit down and go, well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, what's the point? I'm not going to do anything because God's going to do. He's just going to do it all. That's not what happened. Because when men and women finally realize the activity and the sovereignty and the invitation of God, like them, they say, God, all bets are off if we don't do anything else at the end of our life. We want to look back, not have regret. We want to look back to know that we had the courage to be players in the activity of our sovereign God. So God, enable your servants to speak with boldness. And you know what boldness is? Here's the great news. Boldness is not volume. Okay? And also, just so you know, what I do up here on Sunday morning with a mic on my face, this is not boldness. Don't ever think, oh, Chad is so bold because he stands up there. This is not boldness. And the same with any other preacher, pastor, or leader. Don't ever equate public speaking ability with boldness. Instead, pay attention to how we engage others when we're not on stage through the week. Boldness isn't the guy standing across from the college stadium or downtown with a sign yelling, repent, you know, trust Jesus, Jesus is coming. That's not boldness. That's something else. Because he's safe. He can't be arrested. He doesn't know anybody. He's not going to lose his job. He's never going to see any of those people who are walking by again. You know what boldness is? Boldness is the soft-spoken woman at work or school that decides that I'm going to share with my coworker something that I learned in church or in my personal reading that's challenged me in a good way. That's boldness. 
Boldness is a 35-year-old guy who just knows his dad or knows his father-in-law will just refuse to talk about religion or God, but he decides, you know what, I'm going to broach the subject anyway and share with what God's doing in my life because I want my dad to know and understand that there's a God that loves me and a God that loves him, and I'm just going to go for it. That's boldness. Boldness is giving someone a book like Reason for God or Road Back to You or sharing a faith-based podcast, offering to meet with them over coffee or even a beer or cigar, whatever, and just talk about it. Boldness is through your personality, your gifts, your talents, and your life experience, simply speaking up when the opportunity presents itself. It's not about volume, and it's definitely not about being obnoxious. It's about being ready to talk about how God has impacted your life and be as ready to talk about that as you are the Chiefs game. Sorry to meddle. Boldness is listening. Here, here's a tool. It's listening for three little knots when someone's talking to you. What I mean is you're having a casual conversation. They say something along the lines of that they're not in church or something's not going well or something in their life. They just they, I'm not prepared for this. In our community, it's all the coronials feeling not prepared for parenthood, okay? And then you just simply respond with, really? You should come with me. Come visit, come visit my church this Sunday. It's when someone close to you shares something about a small or a big struggle that they're having in their marriage or life or with kids, and you're like, hey, you know, our, our church had this awesome thing, and we dug into the Enneagram, and a lot of us worked through this book called The Road Back to You. It could really help you figure some stuff out. Would you be interested in that? It's about men and women and students who are perfectly positioned in someone's life. And as God presents these opportunities, that we would choose to be proactive, to speak up, to take advantage of those opportunities for the sake of seeing that person place their faith in Christ. Something just to, to share as a side, something that, that I've recently done, uh, actually I think God made it happen a few months ago. I was going in. I go to the Andover Y typically to work out. I forgot my earbuds. Some of you will get this. I thought, I, get, I can't work out. I don't have my earbuds. Like, <laughs> I got to go home. You know, God doesn't want me to work out today. So, so I, 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 I get, but I go in. I just talk, you know, suck it up and go in. And the amazing thing was that suddenly I started hearing some of these conversations around me with other people who were working out together. And without going into all the details, suddenly, like two, three weeks later, I get friend requested from this one group. I call them the squad. It's a mix of individuals that work out. I get friend requested. And then like uh, a week later, the, like a few days later, uh, we're talking and, and actually comes up to me and goes, hey, you know, I, I did that. And then I'm part of a, this other message group. And some, somebody in the group said, hey, you, you know he's a pastor, right? <laughs> it's just like, and she said, I knew in that moment I'm going to hell. <laughs> It's just like, and then suddenly I got another friend request, and suddenly now I've got these individuals that are talking to me about, talking to me about Enneagram and talking about church, and uh, all I'm saying is that it's amazing these little opportunities that are around us that we don't realize, and things that we are missing. See, the, the thing that moved and got the attention of the people in Jerusalem and beyond was not the volume of the first century believers. What shocked people and got their attention was that with all that was at stake, with all that it could cost them, 
that they could lose their job, they could lose their place in society or their family, and in some cases, lose their life. Despite all that they had to lose, they loved with a radical kind of love, and they were insistent that with every opportunity they had to talk about Jesus. And people would ask them, why would you do that with all that it could cost you? Why would you talk about Jesus? And these first century followers would respond, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I harness my fear and speak boldly, which may be in the form of a whisper or an invitation, a word? How could I not when there is sovereign God who is active in this broken world and this epic work in the end to fix and heal and restore everything? And he's invited me, me and you to participate with him. And so for no other reason than to honor the men and the women of the first century, many of whom gave their lives to make sure that you and I could hear it and then make a decision for ourselves, and to honor the men and women who had the boldness and the courage to fish for us when we were fish just kind of wandering around, and to open the door for Jesus to, to make us into what he promised if we would follow him. For all this, I've, I've just got a little assignment for you. Would you for just one week, just this week, each day, would you begin to pray or add to your prayers this simple prayer? Father, enable me to speak your word with boldness. Uh, To mess with your comfort zone, let's just say this together. You repeat after me. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. One more time. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. That's scary, isn't it? But let me tell you what's going to happen if you begin to do this. Number one, you'll become more aware of opportunities that you normally miss. And number two, you will be forced to face a fear that is high time that you faced and conquered. And let me just say, especially for the men in the room. I mean, I hate to say it, men, but statistically, the ladies are less cowardly when it comes to talking about meaningful things. Especially if it involves emotion. We men tend to be emotionally constipated. But when it talks about ladies and and men, we can just be the biggest chickens. But that's not the kind of men we want to be. We want to be strong and bold and courageous. So it is time that we faced and conquered this fear. And in praying this prayer on a daily basis, again, what will happen is you will become more aware of the opportunities you currently miss, and you will be forced to face a fear that it's high time that you faced and overcame. The fear of broaching the subject, the fear of entering into a dialogue, the fear of doing things differently than the ways you've always done them, maybe not wearing your earbuds once in a while, the fear of letting it be known that you stand in a different place with a different set of values, but not in a prideful way, but in a humble, grateful way. Not that you see yourself as better than anyone else, but that you see yourself as better off because of Jesus. Again, bold isn't loud. Bold is just thoughtfully speaking up when these little opportunities show up. And do you know why you should be bold? Because God is still sovereign. Why would we fear when we serve 
sovereign God. God who took the crucifixion and the resurrection and planted it right in the middle of history and made it the reference point for our lives and the lives of every other human being. What in the world do we have to be afraid of? Seriously. Secondly, do you know why else we should be bold? Because God is as active now as He was then. He is as active now as the day He raised His Son from the dead. He is active now as He ever was when Peter and John were released from prison. Listen, Jesus said, I am going to build my community, my movement, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or you. And 2,000 years later, exactly what Jesus said would happen has happened, and it continues to happen. There are churches all over the world in every language spreading just like he said that it would. But why? Because God is still active. Jesus is still active. And because there's always been a remnant of people in every generation who were willing to be bold who accepted the big assignment because Jesus said, I want you to go into every nation and I want you to make disciples. And 2,000 years later, there are Christians in every nation in the world. Why? Because God is still active and because there's always been a remnant of men and women in every generation who were bold. And I so desperately want you and I to be included in that very, very special category of people that two years from now, Five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that countless men, women, children, students will share their personal story of a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And when they tell their story, you will be named. That new life will be named. Because we took seriously that you and I have been invited to be players in God's unfolding plan in this generation And in this world, how in the world can we justify sitting on the sidelines? Why in the world would we want to get to the end of our lives and go, well, you know, I raised a family, I made a few bucks, but you know, religion, faith, I just kept that private. That was between me and God. I mean, isn't it amazing that we can talk about God and church and the Bible, but we have such a difficult time talking about Jesus even with people who have opened the door wide with questions, even about Jesus or faith or something more in this life, why is it so hard to just simply say something like, you know, I think you've come to know and trust me a little. And if I may, here's what I believe about you at this point. I believe that God loves you. I believe God God loves you so much that His Son came to die for you. And, And if you would just give Him a chance, I just know that your life would change in wonderful ways like mine has. And you don't need to be good. You just need to be forgiven, just like me. And forgiveness isn't about how well you perform. It's about who you're trusting. And we're always tempted to trust in ourselves. But the issue is trusting in Jesus. So how about it? Like, would you be willing to right now just let go of the reins and the isolation, the pressure, and just put your trust in Jesus to make peace with God and for the forgiveness of your sins? As the band's coming up, do you, you know why? Uh, you know why I think it's hard for us to do this? I think it's because we've lost sight of sovereign God. Especially right now, the world feels so out of control. There's just so much anger and angst and accusation and finger pointing. 
whether it's politics or COVID or Omicron or it doesn't matter. And we've just become so hateful to each other. And honestly, it's, there are times it just feels there, there can't be any hope. There's nothing that can fix this. But God is still as active now and still as sovereign and still as on his throne as ever. And he has given you and me the privilege and the honor of being invited into what he's going to do with or without us. What an honor to be included. So would you just pray through the week with me? Heavenly Father, enable me, enable us, whatever relationships that we're in, not to just simply be a good person and not just simply to be a good influence and a good example. Enable me to speak your word with boldness and not worry about the outcome. Because you know who's responsible for the outcome? How people respond, how they react, how and when they will receive the truth. Sovereign God is in charge. Not scared little you and not scared little me. Sovereign God is responsible for outcomes. I'm just a player. You're just a player and privileged to be allowed to be a part of the process in someone else's life. And the same is true for you. And it doesn't matter how much Bible that you know, though you should spend more time in the Bible, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. Just imagine what could and would happen if you began to pray at the end of all our little self-centered prayers that we all pray. If at the end we said, Sovereign God, even if you don't do all, any of that, would you enable me to speak your word with boldness? We have been invited to participate. And if we don't talk about it, people won't know. Let's not end up with regret because of missed opportunities because we were cowards. Let's conquer our fears. Let's follow. Let's become fishers of men. If just for the next seven days and maybe for the rest of your life, God, enable me to speak your word with boldness. And don't miss next week as we completely uncomplicate and simplify this for you so it will help you feel even more courageous, bold, and confident. Let me pray for us. Father, we are a bunch of cowards. And especially in an environment where it just feels like you can't bring up with anything without it being a free-for-all. But I pray that you would guide us with discernment and wisdom in the relationships that, Father, quite honestly, you, or, you organized and set up the people that we're connected to. And I pray for all of us that you would enable us to be more bold and in a way that is loving, compelling, even irresistible. Because there were people that did that for us or are continuing to do that for us. And God, I pray for our city. There's just been this resistance for a long time. And some of that, quite honestly, churches and people like me, we're part, we were part of the problem. But God, I pray for that to be no more. That God, that you would give us your hearts and your mind give us your heart and mind and how we engage the people around us and that father that when they're when they leave our presence that they will have experienced you in a compelling way i pray all of this in the name of jesus amen